Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We've been in a series looking at the, the letter of, the, of James. He's been uh, very upfront uh, to, to the church. He's been to the point, and he reminds us that there's a blueprint that we need to be following as believers in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we want to continue in this series. Now, I'll be honest, I think um, one of the best storytellers who've ever lived is Max Licato. And he tells a story about his oldest daughter, who at the time was six years old. She's six years old and she looks at her daddy and says, Daddy, I wish you had a different job. She said, I wish you were a snow cone salesman. (laughs) She said, I like your preaching, but I think snow cones are better. (laughs) He writes the story and he says, you know, I'm thinking about that and we have this honest conversation and, and he gets that It's a pure heart who says, I I wish you'd sell snow cones because let's just be honest. Men who sell snow cones drive around in a truck all day selling goodies to children, bringing smiles on their faces. What what better joy can that be? Maybe she's on to something. Maybe I should take a loan out, buy a truck, and sell snow cones. But he said, I I realized I wasn't going to heed her advice. Because really, the, at the end of the day, he said, I knew what I was called to do. I knew better than she did. I had more wisdom than she did. And I think that's an interesting thought process there because you and I as a parents or grandparents, we know better than what our children are going through. Although they don't always listen, we still have a better idea at points. But it's funny, as much as we have a better idea about our children's activities and what's going on in their world, God has a better perspective on our world. And as much as we know more and better than our children, God knows infinitely more about our life than we do. And the thing is, we need to just stop and trust him. Now, that's not always easy to do, is it? I mean, we, we face all sorts of things in life. And there are moments when we know the answer and we know what's right. But it, for whatever reason, there's this thing inside us that tells us maybe it's time to test that. Maybe it's time to just, let's just make sure God's right. And we don't say that out loud. We don't think it that way. But at the same time, when we know that what we need to be doing, and yet we do the opposite, we're basically going, I want to make sure God's not lying to me. And so we do that, and we, we go down these paths, and we ask these questions, and, and we realize if we're honest with ourselves, God knows better, and we should have listened. Well, this morning, as we look at James chapter 4, in the first 10 verses, James has a conversation with the church. 
And, and, and let's be honest, this church is, has got a lot of problems. This church is messed up. The church has, has had to be reminded that they shouldn't be fighting amongst them. They've been having fights because there's those who haves and those who have nots. And, and, and the haves want it this way and the have nots want this. And it became a problem. There, there was a problem with bitterness and jealousy in the church. And James had to address what that looks like. They had false teachers coming in going, oh, you just need to do this. And people going, well, let's go down this path. And no, 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 you got to go this way. And, and James addresses that. Uh, last week, we, uh, JJ looked at the end of chapter 3 and it talked about wisdom. And James kept pointing out that wisdom is from above and it's that wisdom from God that helps us navigate these waters. But when we choose to do it our way, we're choosing not to listen to God, but to take our own advice. And so as we come to chapter 4, it's a continuation of that wisdom. But today, he, as we'll see in the text, it has more to do with our hearts and being careful of a dangerous relationship that we could have. So if you have your Bibles and you're at James chapter 4, whether you turn them on, whether you have a written copy, would you stand as we honor God's Word? Now what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may be spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that a friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. And therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You may be seated. James lays this picture out to the church and he reminds them about where their hearts are and what should happen. Let me give you the big idea this morning, it's simply this. Believers must guard their hearts and desire so they don't become more like the world and less like Christ. See, the thing is, when we allow our heart's desires 
to become greater than God's desires, we become more like the world and less like Christ. And in those moments when that happens, our relationship with God is diminishing. Our relationship with God struggles. And God, God just allows that to happen because he desires your heart, but he's not going to make your heart do anything. You have to choose. And so in this passage, James gives us two issues that we have to address, and then he gives us a solution. So let me, let me give you uh, these, these three things. First thing I want you to catch is wrong passions lead to strong distractions. Wrong passions lead to strong distractions. Listen, sometimes we can be so passionate about things, and it's the wrong things that, we're, that we are distracted on the right things. We get ourselves in, in situations where we're passionate about, we, we're just passionate about this to the point that we've missed the point, and now we're just holding on because it's a principal thing. Reminds me of the couple who were in an argument. And the way they argued was when they couldn't come to a place and, of, of understanding, they just gave each other the silent treatment. And they waited for the next per, one of them to break the silent treatment. Well, this couple had been arguing for a week, not speaking with one another. And the man had to take a business trip to Chicago, and he knew he needed his wife's help to get up for his 5 a.m. flight. And so he decided to not give in. He's not going to be the one who gives in. And so he leaves a note by her bed. Says, wake me up at five because he has the flight. He goes, goes to bed. Wakes up the next morning at 9 a.m. Missed his flight. His wife's not in bed. He looks around. He, now he's angry. He gets up and he looks on his nightstand and she says, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. She left him a note. When we hold to passions that are not godly, it leads us to distractions. It leads us down wrong paths. When we're, we're so willing to hold to something and not really see the truth, there's this tug of war that happens. And this tug of war happens in all of us. We all want certain things. And sometimes we get so focused on those certain things that we miss the right thing. And it is a strong distraction in our life. And what happens is when that takes place, our relationship with God is hampered. And we have to understand that there's this thing going on inside of us. And listen, it happens to us all. We all are this way. We all have this internal fighting that takes place. Listen, Adam and Eve were the first to reveal it in the garden, and they were the first because you and I weren't there. Because if we had been there, we'd have done the same thing. Our internal fighting, our desires to know more, want more, to be in the know, lead us and cause us to be distracted. One of the greatest the greatest human to ever live, apart from Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. More books in the Bible. He had this internal tug of war. 
Look at Romans 7. Romans 7 says this, verse 15. For I do not understand what I am doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do. But what I do, I hate. And so there's this tug of war. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I hate. Why? Look at verse 19 and 20. For I do not do the good that I want to do. But I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one that does it. But it is the sin that lives in me. The sin that lives in me. James is telling the church, hey, listen, there's this conflict. There's this conflict that's inside you. And and what it is is you're wanting to be more like the world. And the problem is we're to be less like the world and more like Christ. And so we need to understand as long as we're on this earth, there's going to be this thing in our heart. This thing is a war for more. We'll always want more. We always want more. It's like a good banana pudding. Or a great bag of Cheetos. You keep eating. You want more. You don't care how orange your fingers get. You want more. There's this war going on. What's the war in your life? Oh, I want to be like so-and-so. Oh, I wish we could do that. Oh, I want more money so we could do this. There's this war. And as long as this war is going on inside us, and as long as we're giving into the war, there's going to be problems. In fact, James says that there's this problem in our prayer life, and you'll catch it here. It's the inconsistent or non-existent prayer life. The inconsistent or non-existent prayer life. When we have this war going on inside us, and we don't understand that the war's happening, our prayer life is going to come inconsistent or non-existent. In other words, we're just going to give lip service to God. Because we know we're supposed to be praying, but when we pray, we're not really praying out of a pure heart. We're praying out of a self-centered heart. Look what he says here in verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong what, church? Motives. What's your motives when you pray? Are they self-centered? Are they, are they so that you can be glorified? That you can have more? That you can get more, be distinguished, have the American dream? Or is your prayer life, God, make me like you. Lead me to love people like you. Teach me how to overcome my sin nature. We have the wrong Passions, it leads to strong distractions. But the second thing is, wrong passions lead to spiritual subtraction. They lead to spiritual subtraction. James tells us in the next few verses that 
that if you love the world, you're, you're an enemy of God. And the more you go down that path, the more you separate yourself from God. And there is this spiritual subtraction that's taking place. Oh, not that God is going to leave you, not that he's going to forsake you, but he might become quiet. He might come to the place where you wonder if he's even there. Oftentimes we wonder, why doesn't God answer our prayers? Maybe it's not God. Maybe it's your prayers. Maybe it's what you're desiring. And before we get upset with the church, let's just take an inventory for ourselves. If I was to ask you this morning, how many of you are passionate about your family? Don't raise your hand, but I would think everybody in this room loves their family. They're passionate about their family. You, you I mean, I know a lot of grandparents in this room who go see their grandchildren. They do things for their grandchildren. I know parents who love their children, do more for their children than they ever, their parents ever did for them. Um, you know, whether it's they go to college, you send your kid off to college and you go to college to do their laundry or you go to, to bring them food every week. You do a lot. You're passionate about your family. Then if I was to ask, how many of you are passionate about what you do in life? I think some of you would raise your hand going, you know, I love what I do. I enjoy my job. The others of you are going to go, no, wait a second. I don't enjoy my job. I just do my job so I can get paid to do what I want to do. Okay. But understand, that takes time. And then there's the passion of what you get to do. Some of you are passionate about your retirement. You love your retirement so much. Well, some of you are busier in retirement than you were when you were working every day. And you're passionate about that. Then there are other things you're passionate about. You're passionate about vacations. You're passionate about I knew a guy who was passionate about his soap opera that he went home every day at lunchtime to watch his soap opera. And if you ask him, he was retired, he'd tell you he was going home to water the roses. But we caught him and we knew it was going home to watch a soap opera. He didn't want to miss his soap opera. There are things you're passionate about. Then I would think if I ask you if you're passionate about God, you'd raise your hand in here as well. But here's the thing that we're seeing happening in, in the church today. We've got all these passions. Oh, we love our family. We do all this for our family. We're, we're, we, we vacation with family. We, we do all this. We, we love our job or we love, we love getting to go to the Y or we get to go hang out with our our group, we, uh, oh, I'm passionate about my group I drink coffee with. Or, and we don't use the word passionate, maybe. But you schedule around it. You don't want anything to step in that way. And so if you don't use the word passion, I get that. But you make sure that that's a priority. And all of a sudden, we've got this whole list of priorities, and then we have God on our list of priorities. And what's happening in the church in America today is God's just becoming another thing on the list rather than being the dominant thing. He's just one in 15 things we've got going on. We come to church on Sunday. Okay, got that out of the way for the week. Well, we don't say that, but I mean... We don't think about God again until 
Saturday night and we're trying to decide if we're coming or going or what do we wear. And what happens is all these passions, which, listen, there's nothing wrong with family. God tells us in Scripture. He told us to be fruitful and multiply. He tells us to love our family. He tells us all these things, but we're never to put anything above him. And what we've done is we've allowed a lot of things in our life to be on his, on his level. And here's the thing you have to know, and here's what James is trying to say. God doesn't play second fiddle. God's never your backup quarterback. Listen, I told you a few weeks ago, those people who have God as my co-pilot in my car, I, I get it. They, they didn't mean it when they came up with it, but God's never your co-pilot. He's either the pilot or he's nothing at all. And the only way that happens is when we begin, when we begin with our wrong passions, it leads us to subtraction. And we begin to wonder, well, how come God doesn't show up? Why doesn't God speak to me like he speaks to so-and-so? Why don't we see the hand of God like we name this? Or, or even, why doesn't God work like he did in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Can I tell you, God does work like he did in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're just so busy we don't see it. We've gotten to a place in our life where there's just so many other things we're passionate about that when this happens, we just don't catch it. So James gives the church this understanding, hey, listen, wrong passions lead to strong distractions and wrong passions lead to spiritual subtractions. But praise be to God that James doesn't leave us here. He doesn't say, so figure out what to do next. He gives us what to do next. And so the third thing I want you to catch is the answer. A spiritual attitude leads to a spiritual relationship. A spiritual attitude leads to a spiritual relationship. The question for us is, what's our attitude like? Where, where are we putting our attention in, in our prayer life? Are we longing for the things of of this world or are we longing for the things not of this world? Are we looking for the applause of man or the applause of God? What's our attitude? What are we longing for? John Maxwell, I, I enjoy John Maxwell. I got to see him this summer. Um, this is one of his quotes from one of his books. The greatest day in your life and mine is when we take control, total responsibility for our attitude. That's the day we truly grow up. Catch that. The greatest day in your life and mine is when you take total responsibility for your attitude. That's the day we grow up. Listen, it's nobody else's fault that you've gone down the path of wrong passions. It's your fault. James tells us in the first opening verses, the fighting is not with other people. It's the fighting that's within you. You are the reason you are in the shape that you're in. No matter what we do, we have to take responsibility. So James gives us four things here to, 
in these closing verses to help us understand what we need to do if we're going to have the right attitude. First thing is, is simply this. I'm going to look at it through the verses. James 4, 7 says, therefore what church? Submit to God. There has to come this moment in, in our life that we have to submit to God. We have to come to the place in our life that we go, okay, I get it. I'm no longer, I'm, I'm no longer going to stand by. I'm going to, I'm going to submit. I'm going to recognize that you are the authority and not me. I'm going to recognize your ways are better than mine. I'm going to recognize that even in the difficult days, you know better. I'm going to remember your grace and your love. I'm going to remember to trust you. So the first thing you have to do is come to a place in your life to submit. Now, understand this. That's not a one-time deal. That's not, yeah, preacher, I, I, I submitted my life to Christ when I was eight years old. No, you might have given your life to Christ. But when you submit your life, it's a daily submittal. And sometimes when you're in the midst of things, it's an hour by hour. God, I trust you. I don't get it. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I, I need you. It's a, it's a daily getting out of bed going, this is your day. I submit to your will. When you begin to do that, your attitude becomes from thinking of the world, but thinking of God. And it leads to that. Second thing we find in verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, your hands, sinners, and what? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify. James tells us in this verse about a confession. We need to come to a place in our life, and we need to be able to say, I'm wrong. Now, here's what I want you to do. Don't raise your hand and certainly don't point. But do you know somebody who in your world is never wrong? Who never makes mistakes? Listen, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means all of us. And there has to come this moment of confession to go, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I need to confess that I'm wrong, Lord. I need to confess that I need you and, and your ways are better than my ways. And that begins with submittal. Comes to this place where our attitudes reflect that of Christ. And then verse 9 tells us this. Verse 9 says, be miserable. I, I, I just pause there for a moment. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Now, do you really think James wants us to walk around, oh, woe is me? I mean, we know people that way, right? But that's not what he wants. But he needs us to understand that if we're going to submit to God and we're going to confess our, our sins, our wronging to God, then there thirdly has to be a repentance. And that's where he is in this verse. There's got to be a repentance because you've got to come to a place in your life where you're miserable over your sin. You are mourning for that sin. You're recognizing that sin has caused you to stray from God. 
Do you get miserable when you realize you sin? Or do you go, well, you know, we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. I, you know, I'm, listen, I'm better than the chairman of the deacons at the church. I'm better than my Sunday school teacher. You know, at least I do this. There's nothing in Scripture that says that's holy or acceptable. What Scripture tells us is there should be this, this repentance. Why? Because we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short. Which leads us to verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's got to be this humility. Humility to recognize that, hey, listen, I don't have it all together. It's not my ways, but his ways. I'm just here trying to do what he wants me to do, and I'll, I may stumble and fall, but I'm going to get up and continue. A humility. A humility that tells us that we need to, to walk humbly before God. James, in these, in these 10 verses, is pointing out Hey, listen, if you want to be wise, as we finished in chapter 3, you, you've got to come and find the right attitude and heart. You've got to understand you're chasing after the things of this world. And by chasing after the things of this world, it's only going to bring you problems. Now, here's the thing. I bet if I told you this morning that we're going to talk about chasing after the world and that's going to bring you problems, everybody in this room would go, yeah, I knew that. But the truth of the matter is, we know it, and yet we don't heed it. 1981, Juicy Newton released a song. The song was uh, Queen of Hearts. Uh, the Queen of Hearts song is about an unreliable lover who she chases and yet does her wrong every time. This week, as I was thinking through this message, that song kept playing over and over in my head because I felt like how many times do we know what's right and yet we continue to go and do what's wrong? And so listen to the lyrics of the song. This is the first verse. Midnight and I'm waiting on the 1205, hoping it'll take me just a little further down the line. It'll just stay right there for me. Catch this. Think about what we just heard from James. The song is written about an unfaithful person, and yet you keep chasing after him. She's waiting on the 1205, hoping it'll take me just a little further down the line. I just hope this time, just this time, it won't be, it'll be different. I know I can do this just this one more time. Next slide. Um, this is still in the first verse. Moonlight, you're just a heartache in disguise. Won't you keep my heart from breaking if it's only for what? A short time. I know this is wrong, but let me, maybe, oh, don't break my heart. Let me, let me be successful this time. And then the verse, many of you know this song. Playing with the queen of hearts, knowing it ain't really smart. The joker ain't the only fool who'll do anything for you. Knowing it ain't really smart. Here's the thing. Everyone in this room, 
knows chasing after the world isn't really smart. It's not what God wants us to do. But yet, why do we keep coming back to playing with the queen of hearts? Simple. We've not come to a place where we're completely submitted to God's authority. We've not come to a place where we're, we're confessing we only need him and not the world. And we've not repented over the mistakes we've made in the past. And so we're not humbly walking before God. We're just trying to live in two worlds. And that's a dangerous relationship. If you're here this morning and you've never confessed Christ, here's the good news for you. Christ isn't looking for you to get right with the world. He's looking for you to get right with him. He knows what you've done. He's not asking you to get perfect. He's just asking you to surrender. If you're here this morning and you've confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but you've been chasing after the world, the good news is God, God may be quiet and silent because you've made him your backup quarterback or you've made him your co-pilot. But if you're willing to get out of the seat and let him become the pilot, become your quarterback, become the Savior who he set out to be, he'll come and he'll hear you and he'll forgive you and there'll be life and a new beginning. This morning, what's the decision on your heart? Our altar is open if there's a prayer on your heart. I'm here, Mike's out in the hall. You, you do as God leads you. But would you respond? Would you stand with me?